Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm your host, Abigail Snyder, and this is the Armchair Travel Show where you don't have to leave your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is your car, you stay there. If your comfort zone is your dorm room, you stay there. And if your comfort zone is your living room, you stay there. Last time, we were on the bus headed to Jericho here in Israel, and now we're just arriving at the site. But before we head inside Jericho, we need to understand a little more about the site and also some other uh, other ones related to the conquest of Canaan. So I'm not an expert in this subject, but thankfully we're going to step off the bus and meet up with someone who is, Professor Tom Meyer. Professor Meyer lived in Jerusalem for several years and earned two master's degrees from Jerusalem University College. He has been called the Bible memory man because he's memorized and can dramatically recite over 20 books of the Bible. And the reason I wanted to have him join me for this introduction to Jericho is because of his conservative or maximalist position that dates the conquest of Canaan to around 1400 BC, unlike someone we briefly mentioned last time, Kathleen Kenyon. You'll remember Kenyon was an archaeologist who excavated Jericho and said that the Israelites coming to Jericho and conquering it never happened due to a different dating. Professor Meyer, on the other hand, disagrees with Kenyon, and I'm so excited to have him on the virtual voyage today to share his reasons for disagreement. Let's hop on off the bus and go over to a shady area outside the gate to get into Jericho. I, I think I see Professor Meyer over there. Hello! Welcome, Professor Meyer. Thank you for joining us on this adventure to Jericho. The pleasure is all mine. Are you ready for some adventure? We certainly are. But before we actually jump into this adventure, we want to know you a little bit more. So tell us maybe a little bit about your, your background, how you came to, to live in Israel for a time, and also how you came to be known as the Bible Memory Man. Well, let's see. Uh, I did my bachelor's degree in Northern California at Shasta Bible College. And, and uh, while I was doing my bachelor's degree, like many of our friends here, I was able to take a trip to Israel, and during that two-week trip to the Holy Land, I'd be able—I was—I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I, I mean, I've read about these places my whole life, and and to be able to walk where Jesus walked, and to be able to study where all of these things happen and these things will happen in the future, it was just—it uh, was everything I imagined it would be, but nothing I expected, and I was just drawn towards the Holy Land during that two-week trip. And when I got back to the States, I couldn't wait to get to get back there. And so uh, once I finished my bachelor's degree in Bible and theology, I was in a, in a position where I, I, could, I could accomplish such a feat, go on such an adventure. So uh, I decided to, to do it. To, to, God opened the door. For me to go back and then study for a thousand days in the Holy Land, where I earned uh, two master's degrees there. And um, while I was there, uh, that first degree I earned was in the archaeology and geography of the Holy Land. Then the second was in the Middle East culture and religion. So I was able to travel the whole land, north, south, east, to west, and and uh, to immerse myself in the culture and in the thinking, practice. I was able to to go to. Calvary every day, uh, to go to the Temple Mount every week, and and you know go to Bethlehem just scores of times, and in places like we're at today at Jericho, just been here numerous numerous times, 
And so using all of that really cool insight and, and information I gained about the truth of God's Word in the Holy Land, I was able then to bring that back to the States, where I now teach at my alma mater in Northern California. I teach classes on Bible archaeology and classes on Bible memory as well. And uh, like you like you said, my, my nickname is the Bible Memory Man, and that's because of that unique ability I have to memorize 20 complete books of the Bible, including the entire book of Revelation, word for word from memory. And that's what I do every weekend, is recite those in different churches. But what most people don't know is that my other passion and my, one of my master's degrees is in the subject that we're going to talk about today in Bible archaeology. Let's get into that. Why not? So we're outside of Jericho, which we know is significant in the conquest of Canaan. But if you would, please orient us to what the conquest of Canaan was, what happened. Obviously, we're standing outside of Jericho, which is, which is super key. But maybe what are some other key cities that were involved in this so-called conquest of Canaan? Well, I, if we kind of just step back a little bit and look that away, we could see towards the mountains of Moab, there's the, the Jordan Rift right there. And of course, that's where Israel was stationed, on the, in the plains of Moab, in the, in the plains of Shittim, to be exact. And uh, they had to, of course, cross the Jordan River, which was a huge obstacle in and of itself, uh, to, wasn't it, right, to get into Canaan to start with. So right. even though they came from um, uh, the wilderness, you know, they didn't uh, attempt, at least seriously attempt at first to invade from the south. Uh, that was primarily because the south was just covered with at least the main entrances, the, going, the main routes going to the main places were just heavily fortified with Egyptian strongholds and Canaanite city centers. Whereas if they would come in through kind of what I'd like to call the sneaky back way by Jericho, uh, they, there was less uh, resistance at first. But you had to cross the Jordan River first. <laughs> and um, we could talk about that in a minute, but there is historical precedence of, of earthquakes in this region causing the Jordan River to 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 dam up and for the riverbed to dry up. There's two instances at least. Uh, one is uh, about 100 years ago or so, at the end of the Ottoman period, and also in the Crusader period. There are uh, there's um, Holy Land explorers and tourists who who journaled about these events about the the, the Jordan River damming up, and that's pretty cool. And, um, but, you know, what, what, then you get Jericho at that, you know, to us, Jericho seems like a small city as we're here just looking at this mound. You right, know? right, exactly. But in, in, in antiquity, it was no small city. I mean, this thing would have been heavily fortified and, and a real threat because, like I said, uh, Jericho kind of was the sneaky back way in. Jericho's kind of like the, the bouncer, the doorman. <clears throat> and unless you get past the doorman or the bouncer here, the city of Jericho, there's no way then you can, you can go up into the hill high, high hill country. But if the Israelites could take Jericho, then from Jericho, the road uh, goes into a pitchfork. And the pitchforks up into right over there. If you look back up, up, up. Yeah, yeah, I think I see country, it. Yeah, we're lowest, right. We're on the lowest place on earth now, so it's it's you know it doesn't seem like it is, but we are at the lowest place on earth. But up and beyond those mountains, you can see right there that that road would have then pitchforked and gone three ways. It would have gone up to Jerusalem, which is called the ascent of Adumim. And we would have been familiar with that from the story of the Good Samaritan. And also that road would have been pitchforked to go towards Bethel and Shechem, 
which are famous cities as well, and also would have pitchforked to go to, uh, it's called the Tybee Ridge Route. So basically, like I say, if you could take Jericho, then from Jericho, then that would give the Israelites the ability then to take that road that pitchforked up into the high hill country and then hopefully divide and conquer. And then those other cities that are mentioned, I think there's 31 different cities that are mentioned in the Kings list in Joshua chapter 12, uh, they would have been scattered all up in those mountains that you see behind you to the north and then and then into the center and then down into the south. But Jericho had to be taken first, once again, because that's that's the the, the doorman, that's the bouncer that protects the sneaky back way in. Right. So, so Professor Meyer, you're saying that Jericho is, is crucial, obviously, but last time on the virtual voyage here on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM, we had talked about how Kathleen Kenyon actually excavated Jericho in the 50s and then said that the story of the Israelites coming to Jericho and conquering it was, was false because she had found no walls from Jericho from the late Bronze Age. And she, she had said that's when the Israelites would have come to Jericho. So, so we're all basically basing the significance of Jericho upon the fact that the Israelites actually went to Jericho and that the walls of Jericho existed. So I believe you disagree with her. And what is your position and what evidence do we have against Kenyon's argument that actually supports the biblical narrative? Well, that's the million-dollar question, is do I believe God's Word or do I believe some dead liberal archaeologist? Right, right. <laughs> and it's not rocket science. It doesn't matter which of the archaeologists you are who have done digging at Jericho over the last 100 years or so. They all come to the same conclusion. And that conclusion was there was a wall. The wall did come tumbling down. Then the city was set on fire. And then the city lay abandoned. So no matter if you're center, left, or right, everyone believes that because that's what the archaeology shows. Well, then what's the problem? The problem then, like you alluded to, is the dating, is when did it happen? Now, number one, number one, let's not forget that the Bible is our final authority and nothing else. And the Bible clearly states in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse number 1, that from the building of Solomon's temple back to the exodus from Egypt was 480 years. So all you have to do is go to the traditional dating of the coronation of Solomon's temple, which is 950 B.C., we'll say, give or take, 950 B.C., 960 B.C., somewhere in there, and then add 480 years to that, because that's what it says in First Kings chapter 6, verse number 1, well, that gets you to, like, 1400 mm. B.C., 1440 B.C., somewhere in that time frame, according to First Kings six one, that the Exodus happened. And then we know we know that the sojourning of the children of Israel was for forty years in the wilderness. Everybody knows that. And 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 then we get to a city like Jericho and then we see, just like as the Bible states, the walls tumbled down and then the city was set on fire. And by the way, the word for the city set on fire is Shoah or Holocaust. It means like a whole burnt offering, the whole city as you know, except the family of Achan, who they didn't know at the time, no one touched anything. They just offered the whole thing up as like a first fruits offering to God. And then after that, as you know, the city lay abandoned because Joshua put a curse, a curse on the city. But 
the the whole number one, the whole argument of Kathleen Kenyon is an argument based off of of, of missing evidence. So that is to say that there's this very particular famous piece of pottery that was very common at the time of about 1400, about the late Bronze Age. And because that she didn't find any of that pottery in the trenches she was digging in, then she said, well, therefore, this has to be from a, a later time period, because if this was from 1400 BC, give or take, right, then there would have to be this particular type of pottery in the layer. Well, you can never really justly and honestly do archaeology that way because you're only digging like a needle in a haystack, like taking a, you know, a dart and throwing it at the board. You can't dig a whole site. You have to dig a sliver of a site. And within that particular sliver of the site that she was digging in, she didn't find any of that pottery. So that's the whole Essentially, that is the whole basis for her conclusion, is the absence of evidence. Well, that really doesn't sit well <laughs> with us. We're not going to base our whole uh, chronology of the conquest of Canaan off some missing pieces of pottery. We're going to base it off of, of God's Word. And God's Word says, once again, in First Kings 6.1, that it was 480 years from the time that Solomon coronated, built, dedicated, temple, until the exodus from Egypt. And like I said, that gets us to about 1440, 1400 B.C., somewhere in that time frame. Interesting. Okay, so Kenyon was essentially saying, well, because we have absence of evidence, we can make a conclusion from that. Uh, but she hadn't necessarily dug far enough or, or, or basically just hadn't searched enough because we, we just don't know how much there is, right, essentially at a site like Jericho? Yeah, I mean, just look look at this site we're looking at right here. There's a gigantic mound, isn't it? And we we need to think of these these man-made mounds all over Israel. Uh, actually, the word for them is tal in Hebrew or Arabic, and it means old. You want to think of these things that we're looking at here as, as like birthday cakes, okay? Hmm. And um, and when you open up a, a slice of a cake, of the you'll have cake frosting, cake frosting, cake frosting these distinct layers, these distinct levels of civilization. And, and the archaeologists know what layer of civilization they're looking at, what layer of the cake they're in, by the pottery. So the pottery is the key that unlocks the dating of whatever you find in this layer right here. Well, that would be from the time of Joshua. And so when we come to Jericho and, and, and the archaeologists peel back the layers of that birthday cake, and you get to 1400, give or take, B.C., look at what we find. We not only found that the walls literally did come tumbling down, and it's the only time they've ever found city walls that have found that way, that have fallen that way. Wow, okay. And so we can then reconstruct from this diagram that these city walls acted like ramps because there was two walls, as we could see. Look at over here. You have one wall here, and then in between them you have a rampart, and then you have another wall. And so it, so that first wall, the foundations of it that are left, that would have fallen down, then functioned as a ramp for the soldiers then to ascend into the city. So number one, we see that. Number two, we see that when we get into that 1400 BC time period in the birthday cake here, as it were, of Jericho, we see that it's burnt. There's a huge ash layer. 
And oh, just like crazy. the Bible says, because the Israelites, yes, they exactly. set it on fire. Mm-hmm. And then not only that, if you look within the ash layer, if you come over there and look in that trench over there, you can see different, you can see the remains of different houses from that period of time. And within those houses that they found from 1400 BC, archaeologists found timbers that were, the house was conflagrated. It was set on fire. Timbers, burnt timbers, but and ash galore, but it's really cool. It's really cool, Abigail, is that in those houses there then, they, they found gigantic pottery vessels. And the pottery vessels were not smashed to smithereens. They weren't looted like you would normally expect. Those pottery vessels were found intact, and they were full of grain. And the reason that's important is because the Bible says that the Israelites took Jericho at the time of the harvest. And so that wheat and that barley that you could see some of the remains of there in these, right, that this would have been the barley and the wheat that would have been recently harvested before the Israelites attacked the city. Mm. So when you put all those clues together and when you put the, the fact that the walls did fall, they did come tumbling down, number one. Number two, that the city was set on fire. Number three, that inside the houses, that the that the timbers, the ceilings fell from fire, and that the, the inside the houses, the archaeologists found pottery vessels full of grain, which happened at harvest time. When you put all those pieces of the puzzle together, it demonstrates that the city of Jericho really did fall, like the Bible explained how it fell. The evidence indeed does line up. That's fascinating. Well, we're here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM outside of Jericho with Professor Meyer. But before we continue, I'd actually like to discuss another site because we're here outside of Jericho, but we're kind of keeping our Jericho adventure today within the context of the conquest of Canaan. So there's also the conquest in in the north. One of the main cities that was part of that is Hatsor. And I believe that Hatsor is one of the largest archaeological sites in Israel, and I believe it was an important city in its in its prime, right? So can you tell us a little bit about Hatsor? Um, I don't believe I've ever actually mentioned it to the virtual voyagers, so maybe tell us uh, about the city and how it plays into the Canaanite conquest? Sure. So after the Israelites conquered Jericho, and then they were able to have access up into the high hill country, which we can still see to this very day behind us, those mountains right there lead up to that, that the Israelites would have taken that route, that pitchfork up there, and they would have divided and conquered. They would have snipped the country in half. And after attacking the center, which would involve that miraculous event of the quote-unquote sun standing moon, the sun standing still, and the moon staying until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies in chapter 10, then they went to the, to the south and attacked the cities of the south, and then they made their way up north. While while they were up north, they had to encounter the biggest and the baddest of all the cities, which, as you mentioned, is Hatzor. Mm. And you want to think of Hatzor as like the North Pole of Israel. It's, it was considered to be the head of all of the Canaanite kingdoms. So essentially what you had here was all these independent kind of like city-states that were uh, dotted all throughout the, the central, the south, and the north. And these were located at key junctions, kind of like you know, on Highway 80 and Highway 65 today or something right, like that. Right, right. And so then these 
northern cities got wind of what was happening down south and how the Israelites had taken the center in the south and they were making their way up north. So they put aside their uh, own differences and they came together at this kind of world war of sorts, a localized world war up north at the waters of Marom. Well, the nation, not the nation, the, 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 the city that kind of headed this up was called Hatzor, and it was the head of all of those kingdoms. It was the biggest and the baddest of them all. So like I said, it was located at like the North Pole, kind of like on a Highway 80, and um, it totally dominated the, the, the main route that went past it. That main route that went past Hatzor was the route that went from Ur, where Abram was from, all the way down to Cairo, to Egypt, that international highway, that great trunk route went right through the land of Israel and went right past Hatzor. So it's just a little clue to demonstrate how powerful Hatzor was, because Hatzor was the one who could control that section of Highway 80 in Israel, the section that ran right past its front door. Well, uh, in this localized world war of sorts, the Israelites, through God's grace and God's kindness were able to overcome like a David versus Goliath kind of battle. They were over, able to overcome against all odds, these kingdoms in the North and to take Hatzor. And, uh, and the Bible describes what the Israelites did there, which is very similar to what they did at Jericho. Long story short. So seeing that momentum was on their side, the Israelites were able to take Hatzor and the Bible says they burned the city on fire and when archaeologists come to the site, they determine that the same order of events the Bible describes happening at Hatzor were the same order of events that, that the archaeology demonstrates, that they took the city and that they burned it with fire. What is also interesting is that in that gigantic ash layer at Hatzor, the uh, archaeologists determined that, that all of those Canaanite statues, all of the Canaanite gods that were found there had been intentionally mutilated by the Israelites because the Israelites, in keeping in accordance with God's word, destroyed all of these pagan idols, lest that they would become a snare to the children of Israel in future generations. So once again, the archaeology really does demonstrate that the, the word of God is reliable and accurate, and it can be trusted. Well, this has been a fascinating introduction to Jericho, Hatzor, and the conquest of Canaan and the archaeology associated with it. Professor Meyer, it's been a pleasure having you join us here outside of Jericho, and thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. Well, thank you, and adventure is out there. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Virtual Voyage, the armchair travel show with me, Abigail, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I hope you'll tune back in next time as we head inside Jericho and explore some of its secrets.